Welcome back to the Informal Podcast. It's been a week, a couple weeks, or a couple months, or I'm not even sure how long, but we're back on the track. I'm Austin Coley. I'm here, as always, per usual, with my co-host, Sam Lewis. Sam, how are you? Great. We're back at it. It's been a long time, but hey, we just got to keep the listeners on their toes. You know, we can't we can't get into a super rigid uh, schedule of releasing these because that wouldn't be very informal, now would it? No, I mean, to be honest, with anything, if it's regular, it gets old, it gets stale, it gets normal. And so if we hit you every now and then when you don't know it's coming, it's like, oh, this is awesome, you know? I imagine that everybody was like, okay, so they just took a week off. They're going to come back after a couple of weeks. And a couple of weeks go by and we don't. Like, well, well, maybe they're just done. And then, bam, we're right back. Right. Right back in time for the US, U.S. Open. By everybody, you mean just our wives. Oh, my wife hasn't listened to one of these in a year. My wife listened just to the conspiracy closet stuff, and that's all. Yeah. She fast forwards yeah. just to that. Yeah, my wife listened to the conspiracy closet when I play it back so I can listen to the conspiracy closet, <laughs> and she just happens to be in the car when this is happening. So, yeah, my wife listened to one conspiracy closet, and it was a two-hour episode, and she didn't talk <laughs> about the closet. She talked just about how that was way too long for an episode. That's way too long for an episode, but I enjoyed every single minute of it. It was great. So we'll try not to make it that long because we know that we're just going to enjoy that. But we're here to talk about this event that's happening this weekend. No, we're not talking about the Stanley Cup Finals that are going on tonight. We're not talking about the NBA Finals Game 6 that's going on tomorrow night or Thursday night whenever you listen to this. We're not talking about the Women's World Cup. We are talking about the U.S. Men's Open at Pebble Beach that is this weekend that we are pumped for. Sam, initial thoughts going in. I'm pumped for this. Like I I have become a golf nerd in the last couple of months and I'm super excited for another major. Because I don't know about you, but the PGA didn't really or the players or what what did they play at Beth Page? Which one is the, the major? PGA is the, championship. the PGA is the the players, the players is, is not, not a, major. a major. All right. Okay. Whichever one was at Beth Page, we did a pod on it. And I listened back to the pod, and we both kind of said, like, not in so many words, but you could tell both of us were like, Brooks is going to win by 10 strokes. And that's kind of exactly what happened. And it just didn't feel fun the whole time. Tiger didn't make the cut. Rory didn't make the cut. You know, DJ finished second because DJ always finishes second. But it just wasn't that much fun. This one's going to be great. I can't wait for this. I'm so excited. I'm going to be watching on my work computer at, you know, 8 o'clock tomorrow when no names tee off. And it's going to be – I can't wait. It's fantastic. It's going to be great. Fox is doing the coverage, and they've got, I think they said, heard like 46 hours of coverage over the next four days, which is awesome. And it will be in prime time because they're playing out west and it's summertime. So, I mean, whoever wins it on Sunday is going to win it in prime time, probably like, you know, 10 Eastern or 9 Central or whatever. Uh, so that would be really cool uh, to be able to watch golf at night. I can't think of can't think of anything much better than that. But the PGA, it was weird. Yeah, like you said, I mean, Kepka got out to that huge lead. He went wire to wire. But, I mean, he was going into Sunday uh, seven, six, eight, some, something somewhere around there. And he almost blew it. I mean, he bogeyed four holes in a row. We don't need to do a PGA wrap-up show. But it got a little interesting there for a bit. But, yeah, the course was just, I mean, it was just hard. It was long. It was, you know, they grew all the fescue out. It's just a tough course to sort of watch, and um, especially when Brooks was the only one tearing it down. 
But yeah, so pumped to be at Pebble Beach. Such an iconic course. Some course you can go play for six hundred dollars. About a thousand bucks. Yeah, take out a second mortgage on your home and and go play it where the pros play. Um, but yeah, so I mean, Pebble Beach is awesome. <clears throat> if you think back to, you know, just how iconic the course has been over the landscape of of golf, um, to have these guys go back, do it, and it's a normal tour stop. They play the the Pebble Beach Pro Am here every year, which Phil Mickelson won this year. And how many U.S. Opens has Phil won in his career? That would be zero, correct? He has won zero yes. U.S. Opens. That's the only one. Big he, fist pump for me. I did not know that that was won. right. Yeah. So um, I think at Wingfoot one year he had a big lead and, and completely choked it away. But, yeah, that's beside the point. Pebble Beach, I'm talking a long time about it, but it's great. And it, it, a lot will depend on the wind, you know, coming off the bay uh, or coming off the ocean to see, you know, how tough it is for these guys. But – Reports are, and I don't know if you've seen these videos of like, I think it was Cantlay posted a video of yeah, him. Yeah, I was going to ask you about this. He was walking right off the side of the green and just dropped a ball in the rough. And he's like, you can't even see it. You can't even get it out. Uh, people, you know, players are really can, you know, don't enjoy that playing that kind of golf. So I think that brings us to the first point that we have here. And that's why do the players hate the USGA. Do you do you have an answer for me on that? I I was going to ask you because this is a new concept to me. I've been a tangential golf golf fan for most of my life. Like I watched the majors when Tiger's involved, I would watch it. But I've really gotten into it this year, where I watch pretty much every week, and I've become aware of like Beth Page is an example of how the players just complain and moan about the course. It seems like every week, or especially at the major weeks. And, like, the, the course is too long, the fairways are too narrow, the rough is too thick. Like, why – I don't understand why why people get so bent out of shape about it. Like, everybody's playing the same course. Like, why does Patrick Cantlay care that the rough is so thick right off the green when everybody's playing the same rough? Like, it's not like Cantlay's got to play out of that rough, but Kepka doesn't have to. So And then, you know – that specific example, that rough that Cantlay was putting in his little video was out of bounds anyway. So you're not going to have to play out of it. You hit it in there, it's a drop. You know, you got to take a drop. I don't understand. Maybe you can explain it to me. Why, like, I guess everybody was really mad last year at the U.S. Open about the greens being too fast or the rough not being fair or something like that. But how's it not fair if everybody's playing the same course? Right. So I was thinking about this and – the only concept that I can come up with on why the, the players hate the USGA is that the USGA is this governing body which the players do not have any say in that just tells them how things are. Like, I mean, think about it like Goodell in the NFL. You know, Goodell, I mean, I, I get that they have a, you know, collective bargaining or whatever, but, I mean, Goodell's on his own to make decisions on, you know, player suspensions, um, fines, you know, he's got to consult everybody on changes silly, but the players don't really have like a huge say in that. And so sort of like we're out here playing, we're out here making money for the sport and you're the ones that are deciding what, like how the course is set up. You're the ones deciding if there's a penalty, if our caddy just is standing beside behind us, you're the one deciding if there is or isn't a penalty for slow play. You know, it just seems like sort of, you know, whenever you get mad at your parents just because they told you you couldn't do something, you know, that, that that's, that's the reason I think they get mad about it. 
I get it, and I understand that, but at the same time, it's, I don't know, like, everybody's on the same course, everybody's under the same set of rules, so unless you have some reason to believe that the USGA is biased towards a specific group of players, I don't understand what all the outcries about, like, of course the course is hard, like, it's the PGA Tour, like, these are the best golfers in the world, these are the majors, they're supposed to be the hardest tournaments, so I don't, like, do guys just want them to to shorten everything by 1,500 yards and, uh, like, let the greens grow out so everything's rolling slow and let somebody shoot a 25 under? Like, is that what would be ideal? I don't – I guess my bigger question is I don't understand what the specific qualms are because they talk about how hard the course is, but then Brooks goes out and shoots a 14 under and DJ's 12 under and, like, it's not like – I remember – I have vague memories of U.S. Open winners being, like, plus one, you know? Right. So it's I don't even do we even want over to, par. Right. Yeah. Did did people want to go back to the days where Tiger was like shooting twenty under every week? I mean, Rory shot a twenty two under last week. Is that what is that what we want? He shot a sixty one on Sunday. Like, is that? I mean, I'm I'm fine with that. I don't care. I just want to watch golf. It doesn't matter to me. Is that what the players want? Yeah. Um, so, a couple things. First of all, Brooks is Brooks is the one that um, actually did come out and say like. I mean, the course is just how it is. Like, you you got to play it, you know, exactly how you're saying. And I think that really builds into the fact that, like, you – it comes down to are you worried about external things or are you worried about internal things? And, like, for instance, if I'm pitching and the wind is blowing out at 20 miles an hour and I give up a home run, like, yeah, the wind may have caused the home run. It may have been caught if the wind was blowing in or it was stagnant. But at the end of the day, the other team's pitcher has got to come out and face the same wind. Like, yes, I may give up more runs than I normally would on a calm day. But the truth of the matter is, it doesn't increase or decrease my chances of winning the game if I execute pitches because the other guy's got to go out and do it too. I think where they're really getting upset is that, like, you look at Augusta. Augusta doesn't have high rough. Augusta is just a brilliantly designed course that is set up that it's just hard, right? Like, it's not easy. The winner usually is somewhere between 10 and 16 under. So, you know, it's not like they're throwing huge numbers out, but it's designed so well that they don't have to turn up, you know, really ramp up uh, the needle or anything to make it that hard. And so I think where they're getting upset is these courses, they're just – the way they're set up, they're just deciding that they're not hard enough. So they're like, oh, I know what can make it harder. If we just make everything right off the fairway super long and penalize these guys for missing fairways. You know, it's like, it's not really thoughtful in the way they're set up. They're just like, we need to ramp things up, and this is the only way we know how to do it. I don't know if that makes sense or not. It does. I mean, that's that's fair. This is just, it's golf on a level that I can't quite understand it yet. Like, being kind of a novice to, to golf fandom at this deep of a level. Um, so, I mean, it's above my head and I, I appreciate that. I just like, I just like watching guys like Rory play, you know, I like watching Kepka play and I appreciate Kepka's approach to it because if he's going into it thinking that, you know, everybody's playing the same course and I'm just going to go shoot the best round I can shoot. That makes me like his odds a lot better than, you know, I was listening to a, to a bar stool, um, PGA podcast. I don't remember the name of it, but they had Kevin Kisner on and he was just like going in on the USGA about how they screw every tournament up that they set up and 
how he knew going to Beth Page that he couldn't even like he had no he had no chance going to Beth Page. There's a few funny stories. He had him and his caddy on there actually about how his caddy was trying to book a flight like four holes into their Friday round because he knew they weren't going to make the cut. It was hilarious. But if that's the kind of thing you're thinking about, I don't think you're going to win the tournament. You know, um, so I appreciate the way Kepka approaches it. But I guess they're the way that they're like golf course architecture and course routing and stuff like that. It's all all like. That's like golf fandom 2.0. I'm not quite there yet. I'm still on the the 100 level course, so I'm working on it. But um, I'm just pumped for the tournament. Like I'm I'm super excited. I hope that we get another another Sunday like we had at the Masters. Not necessarily that Tiger wins, but that there's some big names on the leaderboard and we got got some good golf to watch. Yeah. Hey, whatever happened to Billy Hamilton? The uh, the outfielder. Yeah. He plays for the Royals. Does he really? He's a is he a starter for him? I think so. So the Royals are awful. Um, I appreciate this segue into something that I know a lot more about. The uh, <laughs> <laughs> the Royals are terrible, and they knew they were going to be terrible. So Dayton Moore and Ned Yost were like, "Well, you know, what would be fun is uh, if we got everybody in baseball who runs under a four five forty. So they got um, him and Mondesi. They got Mondesi, who's really good, by the way. I'm going to win the fantasy league this year on the strength of Mondesi. Thank you very much. They got Mondesi. They got Billy Hamilton. They got uh, Whit Merrifield. They got Terrence Gore. They got, oh, I mean, just, past. yeah. And they're like letting Terrence Gore hit and stuff and not just pinch running him. It's it's great. I haven't watched the Royals game all year, but that's what they're trying to do. They're awful. They're absolutely terrible. They're going to pick first or second because the Marlins are really bad too. But they're just trying to steal like 200 bases. Good for them. All right. So moving back to the PGA, Rory won in Canada, won at the RBC, and won about by like a lot. fifteen strokes. Right? Shot sixty-one on Sunday. Fifty-nine was in play. He bogeyed sixteen and eighteen to not shoot fifty-nine. Eighteen. He had a three iron off sixteen or eighteen, I think. And people were hot about it, but so much for not laying up, man. Yeah, his three iron goes two hundred and eighty yards or whatever. So <laughs> there you go. Um, so is Rory going to win in? at Pebble Beach at the U.S. Open after sh- this incredible display. I will say no player has ever won the week before the U.S. Open and also won the U.S. Open. To, okay, to answer your question, no. I don't think Rory's going to win. Yeah, I, I doubt it too. I mean, he's got all the talent in the world, but I don't know. He, he just he hasn't shown well in, in majors lately. I mean, he, I know that he came back after a couple of bad rounds at Augusta and finished like T16 or something. I don't even remember what he did at, at PGA. Um, I don't think he made the cut. I think he missed the cut. He may have missed cut at the PGA. But was it was really yeah, close. It was the memorial, wasn't it, where he was like completely out of it, but he ended up finishing top 10 yeah. or something. Yeah. I'd, I've never really bought into the Rory hype just based on my situation as a as a golf fan like so the most golf I ever watched was like towards the end of peak Tiger like 2007 2008 and Rory really wasn't around at that point and then Tiger kind of went away and like everyone else in America my golf fandom kind of waned a little bit and that's when Rory really came on the scene and was dominating there and I kind of missed that I wasn't paying a ton of attention and now I'm back in and Rory's good, but I just feel like every tournament I watch, he's kind of an afterthought. And then I watched on Sunday. I turned it on, and he – well, I, I saw the tee times beforehand, and he was – he was he in first or second or tied for first or something? 
And the first time I checked the score, he was like four holes in and three under on the day or something ridiculous. And I was like, okay, well, I probably need to tune in and watch this. And sure enough, he shoots a 61 and he's playing, you know, golf at a level that I don't think anybody else can. So I get the hype now. But that being said, I, I would not pick him to win this week. And if you stay tuned for, you know, the way we're going probably 45 minutes from now, we're going to pick our picks, and he's not going to be mine. So, spoiler alert. Well, one guy that could be yours is Brooks Kapka. If you let prob- me pick Brooks, he might be mine. <laughs> Brooks Kapka has had blatant disrespect I don't understand this either. In the golf community. Please, please explain this to me because I don't understand this concept either. I don't understand golf culture. Please enlighten me. So, see, the thing about golf culture is every they have their guys, right? They have people that they're going to push. They're going to advertise. They're going that they think people will like. You know, they're going to put on the commercials. Um, sponsors are going to pick up. So, like. Jordan Spieth has his own Under Armour line, right? Tiger Woods has his own Under Armour line. I have a um, go, I have a Jordan Spieth Under Armour shirt, by the way. Nice shirt, good shirt. Yeah, yeah. McElroy doesn't have his own Nike line, but like whatever McElroy is wearing at the majors, like nobody else is wearing. Nike sends like stock stuff to people during the majors. I don't know if you've noticed this. Like when Kepka won. When he played at the Masters, he had on like this spring break hat, right? Like in a Nike Nike dry fit. Is it like the vertical Nike logo? No, that was that was at the PGA. This was like oh, a yeah, legit spring break hat. But the thing is, like four or five other people in the field had this on, you know. And then he went to the vertical Nike logo at the PGA, and of like four or five other people had this on. Like he's not even, you know, special enough to Nike to get his own like clothes, right? You would think you would want to put like him in a separate line, um, you know, than Tony Finau and you know whoever else. Shots fired at Tony Finau. Right. Yeah. Well, win a major, and we'll talk more about your <laughs> line. <laughs> he played on a broken ankle and finished <laughs> in the top ten. But Brooks this week was at a press conference, and there was a promo of the U.S. Open going on on the TV, and it didn't have it in him. It didn't have him in it. And he was hot about it. He's like, they had a full year, actually two years, because he won last year, to prepare this promo, and I'm not even in it. He won, and, He's won two in a row, right? Yeah, he's won two in a row. He's won two in a row. So, I don't know. I mean, like, when I think about Jordan Spieth, like, I feel, you know, sort of, like, connected like you would with, um, like, your favorite team. Same thing with Tiger Woods. Same thing with me for McElroy. I get, I guess, some people with DJ. I don't, I don't feel that way, but I understand Your boy. It. Love me some DJ. But with Kepka, like, I just, I can't, I can't get on board and, like, I don't not like him, but I just, I don't like him either. It's like he's just kind of there, and if he wins, like, great. Like, I, it doesn't really do anything for me. Like, it would if Spieth won or if Big Cat won or if McElroy won. Um, now it's better than if Kucher won because then I would <laughs> throw my TV through the window. But I'm coming back around on Kucher. I know I'm supposed to hate Kucher, but I just can't. He's so goofy. Why is there, Why are his clubs so short? He's eight feet tall. Why is every iron in his bag like two and a half feet long? 
He he's, bends he's too over. Cheap, too cheap to buy the rest of the club. He bends at the waist, like to a ninety degree angle, to hit like his six iron, like it's a long iron. What do you do? And then he sticks it eight feet from the hole, and makes the putt. I don't understand. You know who's even worse about that than him is Keegan Bradley. Go watch some video highlights of Keegan Bradley. He looks like he's played his clubs he got when he was six years old. <laughs> I've never seen Keegan Bradley play a shot because he doesn't make it on the uh, TV broadcast. But right, exactly. So, is what are your thoughts on Brooks? I don't, I don't really know where to go with this, but to, just to hear your thoughts on him. So I don't know for sure. I'm going to try to flesh this out. This is very informal of me to to try to work this out out loud with you on the pod. Intellectually, I really like Brooks. Like I like, I like what he's about. Like I like just showing up and shooting a seven under, you know, and winning the tournament and going home. I appreciate that. Um, I've, I saw a video on YouTube of him trying to drive a 415 yard par four. And he seemed like a very personable guy. Like he was funny. Like he played, he was playing it from every single tee box. So he like played from the ladies tees and like hit it with a six iron. And then he like moved back to like the senior tees and hit it with like a, a hybrid. And he finally moved back to the championship tees. It took him like three shots and he drove a 400 yard par four. It was ridiculous. I think I like Brooks. If we get to Sunday and we're watching the you know the back nine on Sunday, and Brooks is coming down, you know down the back nine, he's playing with DJ. They're tight. Tiger and Rory are in front of them. They're tight. Spieth and JT are in front of them. Like everybody's within a couple of strokes. I don't think I'm going to be rooting for Kepka. You know, I think I'm probably going to be rooting for Tiger if he's there. First of all, if Tiger's not there, I'm probably going to be rooting for DJ or Spieth. Okay, let's do this. Let's do this. I'm gonna name off golfers, and you tell me if you'd rather root, if you'd rather root for this golfer than Brooks Koepka. Okay, so like right, if I I'm say gonna, Dustin Johnson, you'd say yes. All right. Word association. I'm not gonna think about this at all. I'm gonna try to give you an answer immediately. Okay. Dustin Johnson. Yes. Tiger Woods. Tiger. Phil Mickelson. Phil. Rory McIlroy. I said I wasn't going to think, but I, that's one I honestly don't know because I don't have very much emotional attachment to Rory. See, like, that's, that, that's, a little, that's a little strange. Most people are either on board or completely against Rory. So that's, and that's a little that's interesting like, you say that. If we, if we get in that situation, I would probably find out which side of that coin, coin I'm on. And it, I, I feel like it's probably Rory. I, I feel about Rory the same way I think a lot of people feel about DJ, where it's just like, yeah, he's really good, but I don't really care that much either way. I, and and I, like, I just like DJ. I don't know why particularly I do, but I love DJ. Um, I don't know about Rory. It's like okay. I was saying. I, I just I don't know. I think probably Rory, but I don't I would try to root for Brooks. I would try to. Okay. Spieth. Spieth, 100%. Spieth, just- might be, Spieth might be my favorite non-DJ golfer, non-Tiger category. Non DJ category. <laughs> well, Tiger's the like Tiger's nobody's favorite, but we always root for Tiger. We talked about that on the Masters pod. Um, so DJ is my favorite non Tiger category. Then Spieth after that. Justin Thomas. Yeah, probably JT. Ricky. Ricky hasn't won one. No, he hasn't. Hasn't won a major. He's won a lot of other stuff that nobody cares about. But yeah. So yes or no on Ricky? Yeah, Ricky. Um, Justin Rose. Brooks Kepka. Justin Rose's face makes me angry. <laughs> okay. Okay, but that's a dislike. That's a dislike. <laughs> yeah, okay. I don't like Justin Rose. I don't know jo- why. 
I don't John like Rom. Kepka. You just you're against Team Miro, apparently. Yeah, I'm, I love America. Hundred percent Shoffley. Love me yeah, some Shoffley. Shoffley might win. Um, He's with Spieth and DJ for me. Okay, a couple more. Fleetwood. Kepka. Yeah, Fleetwood. I I think. He's kind of in the same boat as Kapka is. I don't know. I'm, I may, yeah, just sort of a Kucher. <laughs> I'm supposed to say Kepka on this one, but I might be rooting for Kucher. I don't know. I don't understand. I don't understand Kucher either. I'll say Kepka just so we don't have to argue about it. Okay, sure. Two more. Okay. Kyrdek, Appy Bonrat. Appy Bonrat, 100%. If Appy Bonrat's in the field, I hope I'll be rooting for him over everybody, including Tiger. The tie, John Daly. I hope he wins by five strokes this week. Sergio. Oh, it's Kepka. All right, Finau. Get out of here with Sergio. Probably Finau. Molinari. Molinari. Okay, Molinari. so you're about 75% other guys, and that, that was most of the top golfers. Um, so what about Max Homa? I mean, I've, I've listened to the no laying up, so I have to root for Max Homer. Right. Okay, so there you go. I mean, and a couple guys in there, Rose, Sergio, guys who just don't like their don't, face. Don't, um, I, don't like, I don't like Rose's face at all. His nose is weird. <laughs> it makes me mad. So apart from guys you just don't like, most people that you were just like, eh, I kind of like that guy, you picked over Capcom. So I don't know if that tells you anything. But, it doesn't yeah. tell me anything, which is what's so frustrating. I don't understand it. I want to like Brooks Kepka. I want to. Um, okay, talk to me about how Brooks is Drake. Okay, so I have this half-baked theory that came, that came to me while I was supposed to be Let's doing actual work oven. today. Put it in the oven. All right, we're going to throw it in the oven. You tell me if it needs to come out, if it needs to stay in there, if we just need to throw it in the trash can. So I've had this realization about Drake that people like to have a lot of hot takes about Drake, like – People get mad that he's on the sideline of the finals game, like, you know, causing a ruckus and talking to Nick Nurse and stuff. And people like to, you know, like hipster takes about how Drake's not that good. And, you know, he's just a media creation and like he makes a billion songs. And, you know, I don't really like Drake because I'm too cool to like Drake. But when you get down to it, like Drake's like the best hip hop artist on the planet right now. Like every Drake song you listen to, like, oh, that song's really good. We've you and I have listened to other songs. We're like, this song kind of is not good. And then Drake has a verse at the end. You're like, oh yeah, but the Drake verse is good. You know, it's it's good. I don't really care about Twenty One Savage, but Drake's pretty good. That's kind of how I feel about Kepka. Like nobody wants to like Kepka, but at the end of the day, if you got to pick somebody to win a tournament, you're gonna pick Kepka if it's a major because he wins all the majors, and he's just like obviously the best golfer. Like you don't want to like Drake because he's like dancing around like on the court during the game you're like you know i don't like drake i don't want to like drake his music videos are dumb he dances like an old man like i'm too cool to like him but at the end of the day you're gonna listen to his songs on spotify because they're really good songs and like when they come on the radio you're gonna listen to the whole thing and even if you don't want to like him he's the best and you kind of have to own it because any take to the contrary is obviously biased and you're just trying to make an argument because you want to be cool the obvious answer is Drake is the best, as is Brooks Kepka. So you tell me, is that reasonable? Am I on the right path? Am I completely off base? So I, I get what you're saying. Uh, I understand where you're trying to piece this together. Where I think it might break down 
is that, like you said, with Drake, people see him all the time, everywhere, get annoyed, right? But the songs come out, and they like it, right? Like, they eat it up. Even if you don't want to like it, you have to. Right. With Brooks, I feel like people see him all the time, and Drake's the best, right? So, Brooks, people see him all the time, and they're like, eh, there's Brooks, sweet. And then he's the best and he wins and people are still like, oh, all right, sweet, Brooks won. Like they don't they don't get as excited. That's where I think it breaks down. That's fair. And that's like the personality difference like could not be starker between the two human beings we're talking about, right? But the right. way that they're perceived, I guess, in their not even in the culture, but in their industry of like they're obviously the best at like their thing they're doing. Like nobody Nobody could credibly say that there's a hip-hop artist who is more, like, successful than Drake is. And you can't credibly say that there's a golfer who's better than Brooks. Like, you could argue about, you know, certain guys, but you can't definitively say anyone's better. Yet we still want to, like, nitpick and not fully buy in. And, you know, when his, when Drake's last album came out, everybody... You know, nobody wanted to say it was the best album at the time, yet all 20 songs on it were in the top 100, you know, downloads or whatever. So I don't, I, I, it's not a perfect comparison, but it was, I was just, Drake came on the radio earlier today and I was like, man, this song's fantastic. Oh, of course it's Drake. Every Drake song's fantastic. And it got me thinking. So this is half baked theory corner. Maybe we'll do a conspiracy corner, you know, at some point, not today, because this pod's going to be too long already, but, um, Maybe we maybe we start a half big theory segment. I enjoyed this. So I I think I, something just came to me and, and perfect. Tell me what you think. About put it this. out there. Just put With it Brooks. out there. I think people don't like him because he doesn't care. I, I I think that's the reason people can't get on board, right? Like we like Tiger so much because he cares so much and he gives that intense I am going to win with all ounce of my being into this right like we like teams that have heart we like guys that are going to dig from deep down and show emotion where I think people fall away from books is he's like okay I'm going to go play this US Open and if I win like sweet not a big deal like I'm just going to go work out and do whatever right like but if I don't win, like, sweet, like, I don't really care. You know, like, that's kind of the vibe. Like, how are you supposed to get on board with somebody that's like, I'm not really excited if I win or not, you know? And I, and I know he's inside, he's not that way, but that's the outward persona that he shows. As a fan, it's it's kind of hard to get on board with that when you see, like, how much Spieth and Greller, like, just love the grind and are just trying so hard to win and are so disappointed when they hit a bad shot like you want to pull for those guys um and guys that are just sort of like who cares one way or the other it's hard i, I, think, I think i think that might be why that's a very viable theory let me ask you this because i'm gonna i'm gonna ask you a question if you answer it the way i think you're gonna answer it then i'm gonna say a thing has brooks ever so he's won four majors. Has have any of them been like down to the wire? Like he had to, like Tiger did at the Masters, where he had to like shoot four under on the back nine to win the tournament. Or have they all been like the PGA, where he was like seven up and everybody knew he was going to win? 
Do you know none off of the top them, of your none head? Of, none of them but, have been like the PGA where he's been seven up. I don't know if he had to win it on any on the last hole. I can't remember. But he's been like in the thick of it for sure. Because I don't have any memory of Brooks like like swapping haymakers coming down the wire. You know, I need three birdies in these last five holes to win kind of a so, motion. I mean, the only time that he did that was at Augusta this year. You remember when he put he dunked the ball into the water and make a double, came back, made an eagle on thirteen, yeah. and was clawing and him he was a couple one ahead of Tiger and was and that was probably See, that's tough because he's playing against Tiger, right? So you were with well, he was rooting for that's, Tiger. That's my, that's my point is I don't know how he would react in that situation because I've never seen him in that situation. And even at Augusta where he was, you know, technically he was fighting for his, his tournament life there, we, you know, I don't remember many of Brooke's shots from that Sunday. Like I saw every single Tiger shot and those are the only shots I remember. You know, I don't remember. I remember Brooks hitting it in the water and then having to watch Tiger stick it two feet away on number 12 when he was teeing off at 13. And that's all. I don't remember any other Brooks shot. So he might have been fist pumping and like whooping the crowd or whatever. I'm sure he wasn't, but he could have been. My point is, if he gets in that situation where he's, you know, like trading shots with somebody coming down the back nine, maybe he does show a little more emotion. We don't know. I mean, maybe not, but I don't have any memories of him in that situation. My first real memory of Brooks is when I went to the PGA last year at Bell Reeve in, in St. Louis. And that was like the first the first major where Tiger was like there and he was in it. And I was there on Saturday when Tiger was like making his run. And everybody was following Tiger. And like we had to fight through like four lines of people just to get to the green. I was like craning my neck over somebody to see Tiger like make a par putt on a certain hole because there were so many people there. And then we like got back in the bus to go back to the car and I checked the leaderboard and Tiger was shooting a great round on Saturday, but then Brooks won that tournament by, like, three strokes, and it wasn't that close. So I was like, right. I, I didn't even really know who Brooks Kepka was at that point, but nobody at that tournament cared about Brooks. Like, if Brooks walked past me when I was there, he probably did, and I didn't know who he was. I had no idea because everybody wanted to watch Tiger, and I wanted to watch DJ, and, like, the guy I was with wanted to go see Phil or, you know, or whoever, Spieth, and Brooks just won the tournament. Like, it was nothing. So it's... I don't know why he's like that. Maybe maybe he does, just he doesn't show enough emotion. I think there's a very obvious other superstar comp here. I'm going to let you make it because you brought it up before we started recording. But he, he correlates very well to another superstar who's in the in the mainstream consciousness at this point. Are you talking about Kawhi? I'm talking about Kawhi. Break down the Bro- – I, I gave you Brooks's Drake. Give me the much more realistic Brooks's Kawhi. Yeah, so a, a caller on the, the No Laying Up pod called in and suggested this comp. And I I understand it, right? Because Kawhi is Kawhi's quirky. Kawhi shows zero emotion. He has to re- he's a machine. He's a robot. He gets plugged in after each game to charge up for the next game. I, I think where I think they differ is like Brooks – Brooks is like pretty cool. Like you, you see him like I've, on social media and you know stories and stuff. Like he does cool stuff. Like he seems like a cool guy. Like he's best friends with DJ. Seems like pretty normal. Um, I think where it falls apart is that Kawhi is just like I, weird. Did you hear about the Apple story with Kawhi? Okay, so 
No. I did hear that people were putting out a bunch of untrue Kawhi stories because every Kawhi story is so ridiculous that it could be made up. So people were just making up stories. So and I think story. the Apple story you're talking about, I think it's made up. I haven't actually heard it, though. But what right. I heard somebody say so it and then say it was made up. Apparently, the Spurs one night went out to a, like a team dinner at a nice restaurant. And they sit down at the table and Kawhi pulls out Ten, ten red apples, and he's like, "I don't want anything. It's apple time." And he proceeded to eat all. He didn't order anything, and ate all ten apples with a fork and knife. So that didn't happen. No way that's that happened. He said it was. He's had a smile on his face. He said it's apple time. So I don't know if that happened or not. But like, can you definitively say that didn't happen with Kawhi? Like if you said, okay, Kobe Bryant did this, like obviously that did not happen. But with Kawhi, you're like, that may have happened. It's possible. Okay, I, we'll get we'll get to we'll get to NBA here here in a little bit. But yeah, we need to move yeah. on from Brooks. We've talked I, way too long about Brooks. This is a very interesting twenty minute long Brooks Kepka conversation. Tell, somebody tell Brooks we talked about him for twenty minutes. Tell him we're the Brooks Kepka podcast. We love him, and tell him to invite us to play Augusta with it because I really want to play Augusta. No, he can't play it. He hasn't won there yet. Tell him. Oh, man. Tell, tell him, him to tell his buddy DJ. Oh, DJ hasn't won there either. Tell him to tell his buddy Big Cat, and we'll all four go There play. you go. Who do you think a conversation between Brooks and Big Cat is like? So let me set the scene. Brooks walks into the restroom, and Big Cat is Tiger Woods is at the urinal, and Brooks goes up and stands next to him, and they're doing their business. What do you think the conversation is like? I think they look at each other. And they give the old head nod, and that's it. That's all. Okay, okay. Take, okay, that's a bad example because no respectable gentleman is going to talk to another person, another man at the urinal. Say they're on the practice screen and they, like, have a five-minute conversation. Do they, do they have a five-minute conversation? Because they're both kind of robots. No. They're different they robots. Like, Tiger's got the AI for a motion where he can fist pump and stuff that Brooks doesn't quite have yet. That, that's, like, in the Brooks 2.0 download. He hasn't got that yet, but... I, I think I think the only way they have a five minute conversation is if they both have a very common denominator of like hobby or something they like that they can talk about. If they think, like, if like both Brooks are big Kepka, Drake fans. You think Brooks hey, Kepka is like that really new Drake song? <laughs> you think Brooks Kepka is like really into the Navy SEALs and like really wants to join the military after he retires, like Tiger they does? May, they may talk about workouts. I mean, they probably both work out. I know. Well, I know both of them work out. So sure, yeah. they're common yeah. ground. All right. Well, um, next next thing. What's the next okay. thing on the list? Spieth. Spieth's the next thing on the list. Spieth has been better lately. He's been better. He he contended at PGA. Never really had a chance to win, but he comp- he he, he finished third. Never had a chance to win, but he compete. He contended. I don't keep, keep trying to say competed. I guess he competed too. But he was, but now and he, he was he was first at the at the memorial, right, or the no, colonial? He, which one? He didn't win. He, well, he didn't win, but he was first on Sunday, right, or in the last group or something. The, like yeah, he's in the final group, so he's playing better. And Pebble is a great course for him, and that, that's one thing about Pebble is it's not super long. Like it's long, but it's not as long as Beth Page. Like so, Spieth has a better chance if he can keep it in the fairway, but. He finished a, top five at Beth Page. Exactly, which is like shocking, really. 
because, because I can outdrive Jordan Spieth. You can go ahead and say it. I don't know. Not with that Cleveland driver that you have. Look, they, hey, we're, we're efforting. We're efforting for an M4. I gotta talk. I gotta talk to Boston to let me have an M4 driver. But hey, this is there. a golf. This is a golf podcast, and Taylor May can step up to the plate and sponsor us whenever they. Taylor Made. I'm working on the for, the full Taylor Made bag. Hit us up. There you go. Um, but yeah, he's been playing better as late. He had a good showing at Pebble Beach in the pro am. Then he fell off the face of the earth on the Saturday and Sunday when he made like two doubles and a triple or whatever. But he's shown that he can score well here. So do you put any stock into the fact that Spieth could win this tournament? 100%. Absolutely. Without a doubt. Yes. This is like, yes, this is, this is Spieth's week. I'm going to jump ahead of you. I'm going to build this up. Spieth has been incrementally getting better. He didn't show very well at the Masters, but then he's been playing better. He got the got the top five at Bethpage. He had a share of the lead on Sunday at the Colonial. He's been playing better, making cuts, you know, just getting a little better and a little better and a little better. And this is a course he's very comfortable with. It's a course you don't have to hit the ball 340 yards off the tee. You can play most of that course without even having a driver. He's one of the best iron players in the world. If he gets on a putting heater, I think Jordan Spieth absolutely could win this tournament. And if we're going to make our picks for who's going to win this tournament, I'm going to say Brooks Kepka. But if we're not going to say Brooks Kepka, I'm taking Jordan Spieth. Wow. And it's going to make me so mad when Dustin Johnson wins and I didn't pick it. But it's fine. I'm taking Brooks Kepka, Colin, Jordan Spieth. Okay. Well, we're not to the picks yet, so keep that in mind. Sorry. Okay. All right. Spoiler alert. All right. Yes, I do think Jordan Spieth can win the tournament. I think he can. Yeah. I think he can win, too. I, I think that um, he's got his work cut out for him. You know, there's a lot of big dogs in it, and but I think he can do it. Do I think he will? No. I don't think he will. I'm not going to pick him to win another major until he actually does it. Then I may pick him to win the next five or six. But... <laughs> You, you will not be in my picks. So, with that, let's get the picks to win. Here's what I want to do. They, they also did this on the No Laying Up Pop. I really like the idea. What we're going to do is you and I are each going to make a pick to win this major. The catch is, if neither of our picks win, they are taken off the board for the next major. So, for instance, if you pick... Spieth and I pick Kepka, and Spieth and Kepka do not win for the British Open or the Open, whatever you want to call it. We cannot pick either of those players to win. The only time that we can bring everybody back in, it's like, like for instance, if neither of our picks win at the Open, neither of those picks are eligible for next year's Masters, right? Right. So the only way we can bring all these picks that we got wrong back in is if one of us picks a winner. Then they're all they'll make to a hat. So if so one of us come picks up, a winner, it resets. Right. So we got to come up with a prize or a bet or whatever. So we'll I'm making a, a doc. I'm I'm making a doc right now. We will if if anyone out there is listening to this and you have a good a bet idea for this, let us know because I mean it's not just going to be monetary value. We want something either embarrassing or fun for one of us or something creative but we'll do a bet okay so with that being said 
I will give you the first pick in this one if I can have the first pick at the open. That's perfect because um, we'll I don't. Just alternate. That's that's totally fine. Um, because I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do what you think I'm gonna do. I'm not gonna take Brooks in this tournament because you alluded to this a little bit. Pebble is not the longest course in the world. I mean, it's you know it's. It's not short by any stretch, but it's not like Beth Page was where you've got to hit a 330-yard drive in the fairway to have a chance. So while I think Brooks is the favorite, and if I just have to pick someone, like I think if I if I have to pick who's going to win, I would take Brooks. Like I think he's the favorite to win. I don't think his advantage over the rest of the tour is such, like that's he's not the guy I want in this competition because I don't want to lose him for, for a course so, down the road. Well, here's, here's, your, here's the issue, okay? If you do not take Brooks and I take Brooks, you still lose him down the road. I'm willing to take that risk because I think my argument is going to sway you to not take Brooks. And if you take DJ, we're not friends anymore. I'm just going to put that out there. Like, I think we, like, let's say going in reserve that I can't take Rory and you can't take DJ. Is that fair? Because if you take DJ at any point, I'm changing my pick to Rory just out of spite. No. no, And I don't want to do that because I don't want to root for Rory over DJ. Well, then don't pick Rory. <laughs> if you pick DJ, I have to pick Rory. Well, you better pick DJ first. That's all I have to say. There you go. Oh, freaking A. That's I don't. This is I don't. I don't want the first pick. I want you to have the first pick. Okay. Well, I want the first pick at the next one. So uh, I figured you would, and you're gonna you're gonna do something scummy and pick the winner, and I don't, I don't <laughs> like it. Fine, fine. That's fine. I'm confident. I'm taking Jordan Spieth. Okay. And I'm putting it no in the idea. doc that I will spend you, send you after this. Do you the have any idea doc. what route I'm going to go right here? I mean, okay. Let me let me bet on who I think you're going to pick. The, but the way you're – Who's the you're favorite? Kinda, I mean, Brooks and DJ and Rory are all co-favorites. We've already said Rory's not going to win. Uh, I don't think you would pick. I don't think you would pick DJ. I just don't think you would do that. And knowing your character as I do, I don't think that you would stoop to that level. You might. I would be surprised and disappointed, but you might. Um, the way you're talking right now, it sounds like you're not going to take Kepka. I think you're going to take Xander Shoffley. Shoffley really catches my eye, but here's the thing, dude. Kepka has won the last two U.S. Opens. The last two PGA championships. There's going to be a time coming up here where he's not going to be as hot. He's rolling right now. And there might not be, but there's not a better time to take Brooks Kepka in a tournament. There's not going to be a better time that I'll look at one of these and say, like, hey, Brooks Kepka has a better chance to win than he does right now. Give me Brooks Kepka. That's fine. And that is a that's a reasonable take. And I may look stupid for letting you take Brooks, but there's going to be a course in the future, and I don't know the courses. You know, they have these courses planned out eight or ten years in advance. I haven't looked at that. This is informal. I haven't done that research. But next year's PGA or next year's U.S. Open is going to be on a course that's eight thousand yards with fifteen yard wide fairways and angle deep rough. And Brooks and DJ and Rory are going to be the only three guys that have a chance to win. And Brooks is going to be off the table, and I'm going to take DJ, and you're going to pick Rory between now and then, and you're going to have to take like 
Justin Rose or somebody who can't outdrive me, and you're not going to have a chance from the jump. So I'm just telling you that, that you made that decision right now, and that's fine, and I hope it works out for you. But I'm taking okay. speed, and if Brooks doesn't win this week, you're in trouble. The next eight U.S. Open venues are Winged Foot in New York in 2020. You, you know anything Four. about Winged Foot? Not except Phil collapsed there one time. <laughs> Tory Pines. Tory Pines in 21. The Country Club in Massachusetts in 22. Los Angeles Country Club in 23. Pinehurst, 24. Oakmont, 25. Shinnecock, 26. And back at Pebble in 27. There is a non-zero chance that in 2027... We're recording this podcast yelling into the ether, still trying to pick a winner of a major because we haven't <laughs> in eight years. That's possible. You know that, right? Does Does Big Cat have a chance in 2027? <laughs> Me Beach? and you in 2027 are going to be sitting here, and I'm going to be like, I'm taking Danny Willett <laughs> for the U.S. <laughs> Open because he's the only one left. <laughs> I'm taking Zach Blair to win. Okay, Mike you're gonna Weir. be taking you're gonna be taking your boy Sam Lewis because I'm thinking about going for the U.S. Open, a uh, local qualifier next year. If we can get some tailor-made sponsorship money to post that fee. Okay, so Sam, Sam, we'll, we'll get the long shots here in a minute. But Sam, I want, <laughs> I want to hear, I want to hear a little bit about this low score of your career that you shot. So there's a uh, there's an old axiom in golf that. You always shoot your best round when you're playing by yourself and there's no one there to verify it. Um, and that happened to me. I, I played on Thursday by myself and I shot a 76 on 18 holes. I shot a 76, bested my personal record by either six or eight strokes, depending on how you're, you're scoring my last personal best. It was an 82, but it was kind of a shady 82. Like I took a couple of, you know, you know drops here or there, counted a couple of two-footers. That didn't necessarily go in. But the 76 I shot was 100% by the book, to my knowledge. I played it by the PGA Tour rules. I didn't take any shot, any drops that I didn't count. I didn't take any second second guy hitting off the tee for me. None of that. No funny business. It was a 76. It was the best round of my life. I bogeyed number one because all good rounds start with a bogey. Everybody knows that on number one, if you want to shoot a good round, you hit it in the fairway, you hit it on the green, and you three-putt for bogey. That's what you do. <laughs> so that's what I did. And I proceeded to par, I think, 12 holes in a row after that, 11 holes in a row. I know I parred the rest of the front nine, eight in a row, for a 37. And I parred number 10 and 11, I think. And then I had a couple of bogeys. I had a birdie on the back nine, which never happens to me. That's I don't ever huge. birdie. I don't birdie anything. Like, I made a birdie putt. It never happens to me. It was crazy. Um, was coming in number 18, needed a par to shoot a 75, and I duck hooked one in the woods, buddy. Let me tell you, <laughs> I missed the fairway by 100 yards. It was the worst shot I hit all day. Still managed to come in with a bogey somehow. I don't know how, but 76, it was the best round I've ever shot. I, w- I was immediately after that, I began Googling how to try to qualify for the U.S. Open because I was just feeling myself that much. So at what point were you kind of like scared of how low you were shooting? So I got to number nine, I think. And I've been, I've been playing a lot lately and I try to, I don't really keep my score. Like I try to keep like how many fairways I hit, how many greens I hit, and then how many putts I have. So I was on number nine and I think I'd hit seven greens in regulation out of the eight I had played. And I thought to myself, I was like, if if I par this hole, that's a 37. 
And that's the best nine hole score. I, like I've never broke 40 on nine holes on a real course. And I proceeded to, I popped the drive up on number nine. I hit it a hundred miles in the air, but it landed in the fairway. And then I hit it on the green and two putted. Like, and so after, after I shot the 37, I was like, well, you know what? Even if I shoot like a 50 on the back nine, I can still say that I shot a 37 on nine holes. So after that, it was good. Like it was all downhill from there. And I, well, yeah, I going I shot- into nine, you're like, man, I could double this. And I'll still oh, shoot uh, my best. A hundred percent. I was thinking to myself because I, I didn't really let myself think about it until then. And then once I got to number nine, I was like, I shoot a six here. That's a 39. That's the best nine holes I've ever shot. Like I'm happy with a 39 and I've you know, made a 37. It was great. I'm playing the best golf of my life right now. I feel like the, the qualifier needs to happen today and I still would, you know, probably shoot at 90 on a real course, but it, you know, you know, what can you do? All I can do is hold on to my 176 for the rest of my life. It's the best round I've ever shot. And I'm going to be telling my grandkids about it. Yeah, by yourself. Just by myself. No verification at all. I've got the scorecard, but you don't have to believe that if you don't want to. Yeah, I mean, 76 is, 76 is solid, dude. It's low, 76 man. 76 is good golf. You need to start it's registering your, in, in the gin to get a handicap. I, that's what I was going to ask you. How do I get a handicap? Because I like I tried to watch a I watched a YouTube video about it, and I know less about it now than I did before the video. It doesn't make any sense. Basically, you need to register with the USGA that you're a player. It costs like I don't know how much, like thirty or forty dollars a year to stay a part of the USGA, and you have to pick a home course and get it verified through whatever home course you want to choose and then you there's an app and a website and you just input scores and after you play 20 rounds or maybe 10 rounds but i think 20 it'll give you a uh it'll give you your handicap so that's what you need to do do you have a handicap i do yeah well okay here's what we're gonna do when you and i play sweetens in october you're going to show me how to get a handicap and we're going to get a handicap and then we're going to become golfers and we're just going to golf. And that's what we're going to do for the rest of our life. Deal. Well, just keep track of your rounds. And once you get a handicap, you can just put them all in there. What is your handicap, by the way? It's 14 and a half. Not 14. Good. See, that doesn't sound good, but I have like, I feel like you're better than me. So I, I was thinking my handicap was going to be lower than that. And now I think my handicap is going to be like a 17. No, it's it's not. Uh, so, I shoot. I shoot usually anywhere between like eighty-seven and ninety-three. I'd say is is my average score. I've shot. I think my best round's eighty, um, and yeah. my worst round is way over a hundred. But yeah, I mean, usually I'll I have a lot of I have you know a bunch of three putts or. Um, you know, bladed chips or, you know, lost. I don't know. I, I, I tend to throw away a lot of shots. Sure. Uh, and that's I'm, fine. My, yeah. So but, my irons are great, but. Uh, yeah. I was going to say, you also hold out from like 175 at the honors in Chattanooga for an Eagle on a par four. That also happened. Like I witnessed that. So I feel like your ceiling is well above where my ceiling is. If I if I get going, if I'm pretty I'm pretty streaky. If I can sort of get in sync, I can score. But most of the time, I am out of sync. And so. I feel like I feel like I'm the opposite because I am terrified to make a birdie. There's nothing in the world that scares me more than like a five foot birdie putt. 
I've played yeah. a lot of rounds this year, and I think I've made three total birdies, and they were all and, on, like, long par fives, and I had, like, three-foot tap-ins for birdie. Like, I've never made a birdie putt. Yeah, it's with all those greens that you hit, you need to start, I hit you need to start working for seven that. greens on the front nine, and I made zero birdie putts. Oh, for seven. Well, and like they were all like 15 to 20 feet. Like they're not, you don't think you're going to make any of them, but you feel like you'd make one of seven. No, none of them. No, I don't know what to tell you. Um, okay, let's, let's pick, uh, let's pick some long shots here. So what we decided is on this betting sheet, we are going to take everybody plus 6,600 and down. That's, Lowry and DeShambo are plus 6,600. Everybody else at the top, take them off. So your favorites for, I guess, your long shots are Gary Woodland and Henrik Stinson. So because, I guess, you selected first, we're going to do a snake draft style. And I will select first in this long shot. While you're looking, I want to throw a couple of names out there that are they're too low like their odds are too good for us to pick them in this but i just want to say their name phil mickelson at plus 4500 i think is a pretty good bet because phil always plays plays well at pebble uh he won this year he He won won the the last tournament tournament at pebble uh brant snedeker played great last week at the canadian open i don't think he's gonna win but five thousand plus five thousand is pretty good odds for brant same thing with webb simpson webb simpson tony finau i feel like is one of the 10 best golfers in the world and he's at plus 5,500. That seems like his odds are too low. Um, and then my boy Frankie Molinari, you know, at plus 4,000, I feel like he's a pretty pretty fair bet too. Um, I don't know that he's played any golf since the Masters. He had a pretty traumatic experience when he stared into Tiger's eyes and he melted onto the, the 12th tee box and it turned into liquid right there. Um, but he's still, he's still a pretty good golfer, so I like those odds too. Okay. My first long shot pick... I'm going to be lame and choose Gary Woodland. Woodland is a top 10 talent. Just hasn't put it all together, but he's got all the parts of the game. So at some point it's going to click. I pick Gary Woodland as my first long shot. All right. I, I like that pick. I'm going to take a pick similar to your pick. And I'm going to take Mark Leishman, who is plus 9,000. I feel like... Mm. Similarly, Leishman seems like he's he's always like around the top of the leaderboard on Sunday. So if I tune in on Sunday and Leishman is like two shots off the lead, I wouldn't be shocked. And if you're two shots off the lead on a Sunday, you got a chance. So for this exercise, I like those. I like I like Leishman. Yeah, Leish is Leish is always good in the beginning rounds, and he's super talented too. I think him and Woodland are, are pretty similar. Um, so I, I think those are two two good picks. All right, are you? Put, I'm gonna I'm up. gonna I'm gonna put this in here to our to our doc just while we're out. I'll, I'll pick another one and then I'll do it. All right, my next my next pick. Let's see here. I I was gonna look at this before we started, but but then I didn't because you know that's what you do. Um, just out of pure personal bias and recency bias, I just heard listened to it like an hour and a half long podcast with Kevin Kisner, um, and he, he sounded pretty confident about this week. So I'll, I'll take Kevin Kisner here at plus, what, 1250, I think? Yeah, Kevin Kisner, plus 1250. Wow, Kisner. Kisner won this year on tour. 
he he won the won the match play, and uh, yep. listening to him and his caddy talk on that podcast about the match play were pretty great. That was that was some pretty good stories there. Kisner Kisner's a uh, play at Georgia, right? I think so. Did he? Super maybe Southern. Tech, listening to him Georgia talk, Tech. Um, I understood the way he was speaking. It it was uh, familiar to me. Okay, I'm also going to pick on personal bias here. And I think one of the funniest people to watch play on tour, just because of how angry he gets and, I don't know, just (laughs) fun to watch, is Terrell Hatton. And that's who I'm going to pick. Because he's a solid player. Solid player. And I just enjoy watching him play. So I want to root for him. Plus 15,000 Terrell Hatton to win the Open, U.S. Open. If Terrell Hatton walked into my living room right, right now and shook my hand, I would not know who he was. So good job by you. I hope everyone likes my uh, my, my typing sounds, by the way. Love it. All right. Gosh, one more pick. It, none of these names just like pop Nobody, out None of these guys is going to win. It's going to be Brooks. Take Luke Donald. Um, it is going <laughs> to be Brooks. Luke, shout out to Luke Donald. Keep getting them checks, buddy. <laughs> Take okay. him. Come on. Take take him. Take the Ty John Daly. <laughs> I'm not going to take Appy Bonrad. One day, Appy Bonrad is going to win a major. Neither one of us is going to have picked him, and we're going to have to disband the podcast. Gosh. Okay. I'm going to take another Brit. I'm going to take Matthew Fitzpatrick, plus 15,000. He's good. He's, he's just as good as anybody else you know, lower on this long shot thing. And I think he's got a chance to win one at some point. So there you go, Matthew Fitzpatrick, my, my third long shot. All right, my third long shot is the long shot I actually feel most confident about. Like I'm going to give you some actual knowledge here. Like this is a guy who's won on tour this year, who has posted top 20s the last couple of weeks. He's been in the mix. He's been playing some good golf. And that is my guy, C.T. Pan, plus 20,000. I'm taking C.T. Pan. He's obviously not going to win, but he's been playing very well. I feel like he is a he's an up-and-comer. He is uh, he's a guy that's going to win a major at some point in his life. Maybe it's this week. No, oh, I thought you were going to take Hal Tong Lee. Oh, so yeah. I, I, is Hal Tong Lee in the field? Hey, yeah, he oh, is. Yeah. No. Is he? Are you sure? Yeah, yeah plus 25,000. Yeah. Wow, that's pretty good. Pretty good odds. How Tong? He showed up at the uh, at the match play. Look at that! Can't believe I didn't take Lucas Beauregard. Been a big Beauregard guy. <laughs> I, know, I thought but you. I thought if we had four picks, I would have taken Beauregard. But <laughs> so who were, who were a couple other guys that you, that caught your eye and you were like, um, maybe that person? Uh, well, uh, Beauregard, obviously. Happy Bonrat, obviously. Just looking through. Uh, just looking through this list, I mean, Sergio at plus 1250, that seems like long odds. I mean, Sergio never no. wins, but he was in the top 10 as far as odds go at the PGA. I And now he's plus 1250. Of course, he didn't make the cut there. I told you he wasn't going to win. If you listen to this podcast, you knew that. But Louis is way down there, Louis Ustazen. I'm just going to give you guys that always play well at Augusta. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, <laughs> Bubba Watson is down here. He usually plays pretty well at Augusta. Where's the tournament this week? 
<laughs> is it at Augusta? I, I think uh, Kika Bradley's he's, he besides the fact that he uses clubs for a four-year-old, he hits the ball really well. Just could not putt at all. So that's oh, I relate to that so much. You know who is in this field? Who I saw earlier today? Who I did not know still played professional golf? Ernie Els is plus fifty thousand. How wow, did Ernie Els get in the, that? How'd he get in the field when Max Homa didn't? How would you How would you like to have worse odds than Ernie Els? <laughs> I would love to because that meant I was in it. Ernie Ernie Els has the same odds as a U.S. amateur. Ollie Schneiderhands has worse odds. So does <laughs> Sam Saunders. Schneiderhands. <laughs> Ollie, Ollie Schneiderhands. All right, okay. real honest question before we move on. You're okay. Tomorrow, your tea time is nine forty-five at Pebble. You somehow got in on an amateur exemption. You get two rounds at Pebble from the tips on U.S. Open week. Just be honest. Like, don't don't be humble and say you're going to shoot a one twenty because you're not. What are you going to shoot on a full 18 from the tips on U.S. Open Week at Pebble? What do you think? Assuming you got to play, like, practice rounds leading up to this week, like, you know how fast the greens are, and, like, you're not going to hit 30 putts on the front nine or anything like that. Like, what do you, what do you think? So, I want to know. So I'm not going in my, like, current – like, I, I would have had – I've had, like, a month to practice for this thing. Right. Assume that you like somehow legitimately qualified for this. Like you, you won your local qualifier sure. or whatever, and you, like, but you're still your personal. Like you're still you. Right. You just somehow right. won the qualifier. Right. I bet somewhere between a hundred and hundred and five. Man, I just I, I feel like that course can't be that much harder than the courses we regularly play. And maybe I'm being completely naive. I think it here. is like this week, though. I mean, like if if I get in some tall grass, like I may swing seven times and it not move. I don't think so because like I've been in some real tall grass. You know, like tall yeah, grass you, is tall yeah, grass. Yeah, but you fluffed it up. No, no, no I, up. I don't fluff it. I don't. I stopped fluffing it this year. I'm trying to play legit, and I feel like if you if you hit it in the ankle deep fescue. You just take your medicine, you hack it out into the fairway, and you take your bogey. And, like, you shoot a 92 or a 94. See, another problem is I feel like I feel like at a normal round of golf, I, I put a lot of putts to about two and a half feet uh-huh. and just, like, half-heartedly tap them, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. that's good. Yeah, that's I'm going to a- miss, like, four or five of those. That's the thing. See, if if I'm doing this exercise, I'm going to be like the the super annoying guy who marks every single two-footer, lines it up with a little arrow, walks around the entire hole, and then probably still misses it. That's going to be my problem, is I'm probably going to three-putt a lot. I'm going to need like an ex- like a John Daly exemption, anything inside of three feet is good. <laughs> is that I allowed? Mean, if that's allowed, so I'm shooting a, like an 85. One underrated part to all of this is that you're going to have a good caddy, right? Like a caddy that knows the course, that knows the greens, 
that is going to help you a lot. It makes a big difference. I don't know how many. I played one round with a caddy in my life. Well, I guess two, but when we played the honors because we played it twice. And it, it helps a ton when he's like, no way, dude. You can't get a six iron there. I don't care how far you think you can hit it. No, you need to hit a five. And it helps. It does, 100%. Because I remember I was when we were playing at the honors, I had a ball was in the rough, and I had like 150 to the hole, right? So I grabbed a nine iron, and he was like, no, dude, this is a flyer lie. Like you need, you need to hit your gap wedge. My gap wedge went like 130, right? I was like, you serious? And like, yeah. So I hit it, went 150. Like, I would hit the nine iron, got 20 feet, 20 yards over. I had to chip back short side and make a six, right? But like, it, it shaves strokes. It really does. See, there you so, go. I think, I think, so you what about you? I think, I think both of us, all right, we haven't played golf together in probably, you know, a year and a half. I feel like we could both put in a situation with time to prepare and professional help. I think we could both break a hundred, and yeah. that may be ridiculous. Like that may that. be crazy. Maybe we both do shoot one twenty because I've never played a course like that. Like I don't know what it's like, and I'm one hundred percent. I'm is, losing. Like, I, I'm losing sleeves of balls <laughs> in the ocean. Like that's happening. But I, I just think that I, you could hack it around and shoot like a ninety five. I think you could. So, I mean, that's the thing. Is like I could, I could go out there and shoot eighty five. I could well, go no, that's the thing. Like best case scenario, I think you could shoot like an eighty-two or an eighty-three. Best case scenario, if you you run right. some putts or hit the ball good, right? But I could also like go out and shoot one ten. Like I, that's realistic too. You know, like that that could happen. Let me ask um, you this: What? How big a difference does it make? Like the the professional length. Because, like, we go out and play a local course, and even if you play from the tips, it's, what, like 63 or 6,400 yards? Like, how right. long or how big a difference does it make, like, the extra length? Like, if you hit a perfect drive in the fairway and you've still got a five iron into a par four, like, I've never really experienced that. Because if I hit a good drive on a par four, like, yeah, on, the, on the long ones, I've got, like, a nine iron. But it's usually a wedge. So does that make a big difference? I don't know. Maybe it does. So I mean, if I hit a ball good, if I if I I, I can hit a ball, two eighty to uh, probably two seventy to two ninety probably, um, if I get it good on a good day, I could I could probably hit one three hundred yards, but I think I would have a lot of low irons into these greens, like a, a lot of four irons, a lot of five irons, a lot of six irons. And the problem with that is the greens are going to be rolling fast. I'm not going to be able to hold it. And plus, you with the winds, you're going to have a lot more left to right, right to left, front to back, back to front action on your ball. I think that could – I mean, it's a lot easier to manage the wind when you've got 110 in than it is 190. So, yeah, I I, I think the distance would, would definitely plague us because we're not used to it. And – you and me are going to hit nine iron better than we're going to hit four iron. Like that's the honest truth. So. A thousand percent. The only like defense I would make of us in this situation is that if I'm hitting my four iron into a par four, they've got like the rough and everything is so grown out that I feel like you just blast a four iron into the green complex somewhere. And it's going to hold within like 15 or 20 yards. If I can hit a decent chip shot and two putt, I can make a bogey. And if you're making bogeys, 
you can survive. It's when you make an eight that you're in trouble. I, th- I think we could shoot a 95. I think we could. If you think I'm crazy and you're listening to this, tell me. But I think I think we could break 100. You're more optimistic than I am. Maybe it's because I com- shot 52 <laughs> on the front today. And but- I'm coming off the best round of my life. So it, this is it checks out. So we need to meet in the middle. Um, all right. I think that wraps our U.S. Open coverage. Do you have anything else to add? I don't. You got Kepka, I got Spieth, and those two guys are off the board in perpetuity until someone wins. And you also have CT Pan. So I took CT. If CT, okay, what? How are we? What are we factoring in on these long shots? What if we pick a long shot that wins? I don't know. We'll have to discuss off air. We'll we'll figure out something. Who was your first long shot? By the way, I I missed it. I got Terrell Hatton and Fitzpatrick. Um, it was oh um. I could listen back to the audio. Gary Wood, it was Gary oh, Woodland. Oh, Gary Woodland. Yeah, I thought, I, I thought I wrote Gary Woodland. All right. All right. Continue. Yeah. Um, wow. Hey. Actually, never mind. Sorry. I was looking at the wrong thing. <laughs> okay. Yeah, let's talk a little NBA. Got um, to, Just right? for a second. I know, yeah, we're... We're moving along pretty good. We we need to we need to wrap it up, but no, um, we're a golf podcast yeah. now. Let's uh, let's talk a little NBA. You texted me on Monday night and said, "Here, let me let me let me pull up my phone." Uh, Just for background, this, this is this is during Game Five, the fourth quarter, the last three minutes of the game. It's, it's the context for this text. You said. Monday night at 11.44 p.m. Eastern, Steph Curry is the best player in the NBA. And I said, is he, though? And you said, tune in. Tune into Informal for full details. So now is your now is your opportunity to share your full details on why Steph Curry is the best player in the NBA. So this is a that that is that's a that's a take Smith takesman hot take right there. That I don't believe. Okay, so let me walk it back a little bit. Steph Curry is the best player in the NBA who is not from another planet. Okay? (laughs) Let me couch this, okay? LeBron is the best player in the NBA until further notice. He had the worst year of his career this year. He's had 28-8-8. All right. Uh, And then you got Kevin Durant, who's seven feet tall and handles like a guard and is one of the best shooters of all time. And then you got Kawhi Leonard, who we've talked about and we'll probably talk about more is a robot. Those three human beings are from a different planet. They don't count in this discussion. They are on another plane physically. They do not count in this discussion. Take the rest of the NBA, Austin Coley, and you tell me another player in the NBA outside of those three people who is better than Steph Curry, and I will argue with you to the death, Steph Curry is the best human being in the NBA, non-Kawhi, KD, LeBron division. He is he affects a game on offense in a way that no one else can. He is an underrated defensive player when he's in like when he cares and when it's important. You watch the last five minutes or so of that of game five. Josh Bell just hit a home run to break Luke Jackson's heart. Oh man. Oh your pirates are gonna get me. Um Watch the last five minutes or so of Game Five. Josh Bell is the best player in the MLB. He's incredible. We can we can have a first baseman's in the National League conversation after this if you want to. There's a lot of good ones. Back to my back to my defensive Steph Curry. He was d- defending well. Every 50-50 rebound that went up, 
Steph Curry came down with it. He was pulling boards like nobody's business. He was coming out of nowhere. He's getting steals. I think that Steph Curry is the fourth best player in the NBA, also known as the best human being at playing basketball in the world. And I want to hear... You can argue with me if you want to. That's fine. But you got to give me a name of somebody who isn't Kawhi, KD, or LeBron who's better than Steph at basketball because I don't think there is one. So here's the problem I have with your argument. That's like saying if you take away all the long hitters in golf, Webb Simpson would be the best golfer in the world. Yeah, but the difference there is if when you do that, you have to take out like like 20 golfers. I'm not taking out 20 basketball players. I'm taking out three. Who are on a different – you know, I think Steph's better than Giannis. I think Giannis could be better than Steph, like, next year. If Giannis figures out how to shoot, he's better than Steph. But he can't right now. Like, we saw in the playoffs, Giannis, he was great until he ran into Kawhi, and he couldn't do anything. Like, he couldn't do anything. Kawhi shut him down. So I think Giannis, who is also an alien, he's like a 20-year-old alien. So when he's, like, 22, he's probably going to be better than Steph. But right now he's not. What about Anthony Davis? play a whole season my guy like I don't know I don't know maybe but I just I don't know I can't care about Anthony Davis because I don't watch the Pelicans play ever maybe he is better than Steph I don't know but I watch Steph play nobody watches Anthony Davis because he plays for the Pelicans and they miss the playoffs every year you know when I saw Anthony Davis play when they played against the Warriors in the playoffs a couple years ago and they got swept what about Zion no Zion's fat (laughs) You should take Ja Morant with the number one pick in the draft. <laughs> what about Ja Morant? Yeah, maybe, you know, call me when Ja Morant's 23. Maybe he's better than Steph, but he also can't shoot. All right, so. Give me the legitimate arguments here are James Harden. He's not better than Steph. He's Steph's he might be a better. He, he might be a better offensive player. One-on-one offensive player. One-on-one offensive player. All-around offensive player, Steph's better. And then yeah, after that, I, it's, that. I mean, I think the consensus is like Steph is, is fifth or sixth. So maybe I'm really not making much of an argument at all. But just watching him play there in game five, KD's out. No one on that team can score except for Steph and Clay. And Clay can only score when Steph sets him up. Like, I don't think we respect Steph Curry enough. He's one of the best players of all time. He's incredible. All of the offense that they got in the fourth quarter was directly because Steph got them the offense. Like 100% of the offense was on him. And he was pulling yeah. every defensive rebound too. Like that team, we've talked about how – or not we because we don't talk much NBA, but the the culture as a whole has talked about how it's not fair that the Warriors are so good. They've got five all-stars, blah, 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 blah. If you watch the fourth quarter of game five, no one could create their own shot on the floor for the Warriors except for Steph. Like, Andre Iguodala is washed. Sean Livingston, I love him. He's washed up. Draymond is not – he was so scared to shoot. Draymond passed up wide open three after wide open three. And Clay is phenomenal, but he's phenomenal working off of Steph. I, I just I, – I want – the reason I want to talk about this is because I wanted to give Steph Curry his due praise for how incredible he is as a basketball player. So I, I wanted to give you a little pushback. I think Steph's incredible. I, I think he, I, he, he. I get what you're saying physically. He can't do the things LeBron, Kevin Durant can do, but he does so many things really, really well that you just don't notice. 
He's he can be a liability on defense when he gets matched up on, you know, somebody that's a lot bigger than he is. But he does a lot of things really good on defense too. Um, and on the offensive side, you can so you remember when in 2015 and 2016 he pretty much just it was him because they didn't have KD, they had Clay. But like there was games where Curry just went off. He won those two MVPs. I mean, he was just like back to back MVP, real deal. How about and KD? How about uh, well, go ahead. I'll let you finish. But he scored 47 in Game Four when or in right. Game Three when Clay and KD were both out. He just and he would have went for 50, but they took him out with like five minutes left. Right. Um, and so like that's the thing is he has that inside him, but whenever they got KD, he knew that he was in, needed to be in a different role. Like he couldn't take all those shots because everybody needed to, you know, have their allotment. So. He's able to morph with how the game is, which is rare. Like, if you put Harden in that situation, it would be a disaster, right? We saw Harden in that situation when he was with the Thunder, and he was like a six-man who was kind of surly and wasn't very happy and wasn't over, you know, and he ended up getting traded. Right. So, I mean, Steph, he he can do whatever you need him to do, which is a very underrated part, which is why the Warriors have been so good, right? Like, if you take Harden and Curry and you flip them – like, does Golden State win three, you know, championships? Who knows? I mean, they still have a stupid good team, but... I think both Curry, teams probably get worse if you do that. Right. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I, I get what you're saying, and I more agree with you than don't agree with you. Fantastic. That's great, because I really... What I wanted to talk about, we tried to schedule this podcast a couple weeks ago, and it just wouldn't work out. But this was when Durant was still hurt, and... I want KD to leave the Warriors because I want to be able to, in good conscience, go back to rooting for Steph and Clay. Because rooting for Steph and Clay was like, that's what got me into the NBA, watching those two guys work off of each other. And in game, in the fourth quarter of game five, when it was just the two of them, and like Draymond's out there, but he's not, you know, he's, he's a zero on offense. But just the two of those guys shooting threes and, and running off of screens and doing all the stuff that they do that the two of them do at a level no one else has ever done in the history of the NBA. That's what I like about NBA basketball. So I hope that KD leaves in free agency and it goes back to the Splash Brothers that we had 2015, 2016. But that brings us to the KD conversation that we've got to have. The KD conversation we have to have. So... They haven't released anything about what the, the MRI said, correct? No, nah, he, he – well, they didn't. KD posted on Instagram from the hospital room today that he had surgery on his Achilles. Okay. So I don't know. So, I think the Warriors put something out after the fact, but KD, like, he – Broke he, it. Yeah, he broke it himself. So go, go, go. Austin Riley, game time, home run of the ninth. He's the best player in the world. Continue. Oh. Off fast guys? Uh, no, no, they got a. Uh, the guy looks like Crick? Mel- looks yeah, Crick. I was gonna say Melon Cone, but I knew that wasn't right. Crick. Why is Crick pitching the ninth? Why uh, is Vasquez pitching? Uh, Vasquez pitched the eighth and shoved, and they put in Crick, and he blew it. Wow. Okay, um, that's a bummer. Go Braves. KD. KD comes back and plays. I don't really know. So does a calf. His Achilles may have been tweaked or whatever. Came back and play. 
and towards Achilles. I, should he have played? That, that, that's what I want to talk about. And the answer in my mind is yes. And the reason I say yes is at the end of the day, the most important thing why they, these guys are playing basketball, some of them, I don't know, some of them might be playing for the money, but like, is to win championship. That's why he went to Golden State. That's why he stayed at Golden State. That's why he he, he wanted he couldn't win in Oklahoma City, so that's why he shifted. And so I just know that if I was the best pitcher on the team and I had a injury that happened and I had a chance to come back and play and, and I knew that whatever happened, like Katie's career isn't over, right? Like this is this is this sucks, and it, and it's gonna be hard for him to to come back and be like the same guy he is. But his career is not over. Like if I put myself in the same situation, which is hard to do, like in a baseball sense, in the World Series because they're playing a World Series, and I'm not the best player on the team, but like I would absolutely come play. You know, like that's that's what that's what it's all for. So I. I I applaud him for playing because I, I think it's hard to say, you know, I've never been in that situation. So I don't want to say I'd do the same thing, but like my intentions would be the same. I want to like give you the devil's advocate that you gave me on the last argument and tell you that Katie shouldn't have played, but I can't because I a hundred percent agree with you. It would be a different situation if KD was like maybe in Giannis's place where he was, hadn't had his huge payday yet. And he was getting—he was going to hit free agency for the first time. That'd be a different conversation, right? Because then you're talking about—I don't think so. I don't think so. Because would you really want somebody on your team that just decided that he didn't want to play for for you know because he wanted to make more money in the future? He didn't want to play well, an NBA championship. No, I mean, I didn't. I didn't. I'm not saying that my my verdict on it would change. I'm just saying the conversation would change, right? I would I would understand that player wanting to sit out more than I would understand KD because KD's made a billion dollars and he's already considered one of the best players in NBA history. He's a Hall of Famer. He's got rings. He's got MVPs. Now it's just about building a legacy, right? He's He needs to win as much as he can for the rest of his career. But really when you boil it down – it's a very simple question. Like if he, if he was cleared by the team doctors to play, then he went and played and he got hurt. And you can't say like, you can like Charles Barkley's blame it. Like he said that it's the warrior's fault for playing him. And the only way I could agree with that or even see that argument is if Bob Myers went to the doctors and was like, look, we got to have KD tonight. Like, whatever's wrong with him, just like patch it up and get him on the floor. Yeah. Then that's, that's wrong. And then that's on the team. But if the doctors checked him out and said, he's, you know, he's whatever 80% and he can play, then he plays and he wants to play. Like you're not telling me that the Warriors twisted Katie's arm into playing. There's no way. Like if like uh, Katie 100% wanted to be on the floor, the only way he wouldn't have been on the floor is if they deactivated him. That's the only way. Like if it's up to the player, the player is going to play. And it's awful that he got hurt. And it's awful that he got hurt in a way that was probably directly related to the injury he was coming off of, which probably means he wasn't fully ready to play. But that's all probable, and you don't know that for sure. 
and the doctors are the ones that know that the best, and they said he was okay to play. So, like, why are why does Charles Barkley think he can come out and blame the Warriors for it? You know, why are all these sideline pundits talking about how the Warriors ruined KD's, you know, next free agent contract or whatever? I just yeah, it's it's because they because they get clicks and we, you know, uh, yeah, so. and you gotta, I mean, you gotta talk about it, I guess. And in retrospect, sure, maybe he shouldn't have played, knowing what we know now. But in that situation, you're not going to be able to tell a guy like that not to play in a winner-take-all game if he's healthy enough to play. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm on board. I'm with you. All right. Let's tell tell me what happens. You know, at the end of this series, these last two games. Man, I don't know, because I the Warriors had to work so hard to win game five. Like, I mean, Steph absolutely went off. You know, Clay was making every open shot he saw. They even got two threes out of Draymond at the end. He did not want to shoot at all, and he made two shots. Um, The Raptors kind of choked a little bit, I felt like. I mean, Kawhi didn't have a great game. He took over for like a two-minute stretch there. Apple time. Right. It was apple time. And then he kind of, you know, he gave up a lot. He passed on the last possession. He wasn't Pete Kawhi. With that being said, without KD, I'd feel like the Raptors are better. Like, I feel like one of these last two games, the Raptors are going to get it because they don't – like, Steph – I mean, I, I don't know what the Warriors have that the Raptors can't counter because Kawhi's the best player. He's an alien. We talked about it. And then I would say the Warriors have Steph and Clay, the next two best players, and then, like, the next eight player, best players are on Toronto. Right, the Warriors just don't yeah. have a lot. Of they just don't have enough firepower. They don't have That's anything. It. Like used to when they like when they won seventy three games or when they won back the you know Steph's two MVP seasons. They had Sean Livingston coming off the bench who could give you fifteen. They had like not quite prime Andre Iguodala, but like really cagey veteran like could still throw down a dunk and make a three Andre Iguodala. They had. You know, Harrison Barnes, who could give you 20 on a given night. They had Leandro Barbosa coming off the bench. They had all these guys who could chip in. And now it's like they got Quinn Cook is the only guy who wants to shoot. And they got a bunch of no-names I've never heard of running out there. So I, I'm, I've reached the point where I'm rooting for the Drebko. Warriors. Yeah, Drebko didn't even get a minute the other night. So I've reached a point where I'm rooting for the Warriors, but I just don't see it. I think Toronto... It yeah. probably goes back to Game Seven, but I think Toronto's the favorite. Yeah. Um, okay, I, I agree with that too. Actually, no, I, I think Toronto wins tomorrow night. Really? Um, wow. So, Last game in Oracle. I hope. I hope not, because I'd I'd rather see the Warriors win, um, especially after the Raptors fans applauded KD getting hurt. And I, f- I feel like that makes seven. us. Uh, I feel like we're probably the in the minority there rooting for the Warriors, even at this point. Yeah, but we are. Go so, Dubs! Yep. All right, let's put a bow on this uh, with a little bit of soccer talk since we are a soccer podcast as well. The U.S. women's national team plays in the World Cup. It's in France. Correct. Right? Yeah, so uh, they played... Thailand, right, in, yep. in round one, and they one. crushed them like a grape. <laughs> They're in Group F, and they beat them 13 to nothing. So give me a little bit on women's soccer. I have one take on this, and um, my take is that the phrase that you just uttered 
needs to be retired. I don't think we can say anyone crushed anyone else like a grape anymore because no one has ever crushed anyone the way that the U.S. women crushed Thailand. Like, this is it. 13 to nothing in soccer is like 80 to nothing in American football. It's like 30 to nothing in baseball. You can't... 13 goals is... I can't comprehend it. I tried to watch... Like, I, I recorded the game, and I watched the first half and, like, the first part of the second half, and they scored, like, five goals in two minutes or something ridiculous. It was... I don't think we can say anyone got crushed like a grape anymore because I think this is set a standard that can never be be matched. Um, it, they, the U.S. women beat Thailand so bad that U.S. fans were mad about it. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody in the United States was triggered because we beat someone too bad in a sport. Like this is the sport. If you're uh, like an American sports fan who really likes to root for national teams, this is the sport you need to get involved with because this is the team that we're the best. Like, we're obviously the best. We won the last World Cup. This is basketball. This one, and basketball is not even fair because, like, we invented basketball specifically for, like, the American population. Like, we have the most tall, fast people, and we invented a sport where we have the most tall, fast people, and you have to be tall and fast. So I don't even count this that one. Uh, uh, this one... Uh, you need to watch the Women's World Cup because we might not win. Like, France is good and Germany's good and there's some other good teams, but the group stage games, you need to watch because there's going to be a team wearing a USA jersey who's just going to be absolutely dome-rocking people, and you need to enjoy it because we're certainly not getting that out of the men's soccer team. So, uh, you know, enjoy what you can get. Certainly not getting that out of Nashville SC either. Oh, man. That was a tough look getting beat at MTSU the other night by a lower division team. That was rough. We went 0 for 3 in penalties. We missed three straight penalties. How do you miss three penalties? One guy missed the entire frame of the goal. He blasted it over by five yards. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. And we're going to the MLS next year, so it's going to be great. It's going to be fantastic. We'll have all new players, so don't worry about it. Did right, you know? Did you know that the uh, the Nashville SC like sporting director guy used to work for Liverpool? Did I tell you that? No. Yeah, we got him from Liverpool. That's legit. It is legit. He's got a maybe lot of work we, to do. Maybe we could get some some Liverpool players over here. I mean, if Mo Salah is not doing anything during the uh, MLS oh. season next year, if Mo Salah comes in place for Nashville SC next year, I will buy season tickets. <laughs> you and me both, brother. Okay. Um, all right. Let's wrap it. Anything else? I mean, it's it's midnight. Midnight where you're at, so I think it's past time to sign off. Yeah, my eyes are getting heavy. Okay. Um, as always, thanks for thanks for listening, and hit us up on Twitter, or yeah, call and leave us some voicemails. We haven't gotten any of those in a while, so do that. We'll talk about them, and watch U.S. Open. U.S. Open Anything week. Else? Yeah, there you go. U.S. Open week. All right, peace. <laughs>